Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org, hosted by me, NC Scout, the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia, and it is very, very good to be back with you here on this podcast, coming back, had uh, the tracking class last weekend, unexpectedly had to teach that myself, Um, the primary instructor for that course had some issues. And then I kind of had to go that one alone. So ended up not getting as much content out over the weekend as I had originally sought to do. But hey, that is what it is. It is life. Uh, It is life. And of course, we have to be Semper Gumby. But coming off of that class, having an absolutely packed house, great time, tactical tracking, human tracking operations going on. It was awesome. And I've got a lot more stuff that is coming up on the training calendar. If you go check it out, brushpeter.org slash training calendar. That's brushpeter.org slash training calendar. There's a bunch of dates that are going to be rounding out the year. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not training, if you're not getting out there and putting a premium on training, then you really need to take a step back. You can have all the supplies in the world, but if you don't have the skills to back it up, if you don't have the skills to give you a leg up, for an uncertain tomorrow, you're really behind the power curve. And as we're going to be talking about in this episode, there's a heck of a lot that is coming down the pipe. I mean, even Ray Charles, Ronnie Millsap can see this coming. Uh, So I am joined by my very good friend, frequent guest of the program, fellow author, patriot, Christian, and veteran, the owner and CEO of TacticalWisdom.com and the three-volume set of Tactical Wisdom, three books you absolutely should have on your bookshelf. Mr. Joe Dolio, what's up, brother? I'm still laughing about even Ray Charles could see this coming. Ah, that's good. That's good. He can. It's, I mean... Right off the right off the bat, I, I mean, I don't know what more honestly can be said about the dire straits that we're in. I find it very ironic that uh, you've got a lot of liberals out there, but you also have a, a lot of neocons too, all the predictable neocons. Uh, but the liberals all of a sudden turned into war hawks, which is hilarious for many reasons to me. Uh, but of course the neocons as, as well, uh, predictably, and they all seem to be floating on this hubris now that, that Ukraine has kind of turned into the meat grinder that, that we all sort of knew that it was going to devolve into. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but they all, they all seem to be very happy to, to, uh, take credit for that. If you look around and you, you see, um, 
you know, the, the usual outlets, the usual sewer drains like Twitter out there. I, I know that you're really active on Twitter, kind of fighting the good fight. And of course, uh, Patriot Man uh, on the American Partisan front uh, on our accounts been suspended numerous times uh, for getting into it with, with liberals and whatnot. But they all seem to have this hubris. They think that, you know, they're they're responsible for defeating the Russians. And it's like, well, first of all, the Russians haven't been defeated by any stretch of the imagination, uh, because if if they had, then you wouldn't have Zelensky trying to to you know, desperately fight for us to enforce a, a no-fly zone and, um, you know, really now kind of arguing for a ceasefire over and over and over again. And the Russians are kind of like, yeah, no, nah, we're, we're not really going to do that. Uh, Dude, I can't figure that guy out because oh, yeah. he will he will come out one night and talk about the progress they've made on on a ceasefire. And then the next morning he will say some dumb stuff that negates it and rolls it back. Like, like he came out the other day and said, Hey, we, we got a, a good groundwork. Uh, we're willing to be neutral. We're willing for this, willing for that. Then in the morning he comes out and goes, but we're not going to exceed one inch of our territory. And in fact, they need to stop the Donbass uh, separatists uh, from wanting to be out of Ukraine. Well, you had peace and you just destroyed it yourself. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. It, it's well, if they were seeking peace, I don't get it. I do, I do get it in another sense. I know. Uh, I get it in the sense that if if I was if I had just ran a COVID scam and it didn't get me all the control of the world I wanted. Bingo. And I know a war will do it. <laughs> yep. 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 You know it, it's. <sighs> It's it's a precarious situation that that we find ourselves in, and certainly one um, which I think a lot of people, a lot of a lot of folks of the conservative persuasion, especially the older generations, at first they were real quick to jump on the bandwagon and say, yeah, yeah, you know, we're gonna take the fight to the Russians, we're gonna go over there, we're gonna fight them there, so we don't have to fight them here. And they're now dialing that back, like, uh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, maybe we've been bamboozled here. Maybe we've been duped here. They're starting to wise up to that. It's something that I wrote earlier today that went up on AmericanPartisan.org is what is the next move going to be? Because we pushed them very close to formalizing their ties with China. They are uh, a signatory to Belt and Road, Belt and Road Economic Initiative, which has kind of uh, created this parallel global economy which has played a huge role in Africa. The neocolonialism in Africa of China is playing a huge role in South America right now. And what we're seeing is this, this formalization of a global alliance that stands against the United States and in contrary to the United States. And I'll tell and you, when you, couple, you brought up South America, and that's oh yeah. a good point, because Argentina just started rattling the sabers again about the Islas Malvinas, or as we know them, the Falkland Islands. Yep. yep. Uh, thought that the UK would be sufficiently distracted by the Ukrainian uh, situation, and they immediately issued a statement about retaking the Falklands. And yep. um, that happened on the same day that Argentina signed agreements with both China and Russia. And the guidance system in the Western Hemisphere for China's Beidou system, yes. which yes. is the parallel to the GPS. So we have GPS system 
started as a Department of Defense project and still is a, a primarily a Department of Defense project. Well, China has their own, and it's called the Beidou system. Um, and I got myself into a little bit of hot water with them uh, a couple of years ago. They tried to shut me down. Uh, the Chinese government actually did because I published the uplink frequencies to their geostationary satellites. So you can go back and find that. It's still up. They ain't shut me down yet. They ain't going to shut me down. Hey, come get me. Um, You know, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. But, you know, because I I stand for freedom. But their guidance system is located in Argentina. And it's not just Argentina, Venezuela. I've been reporting on this since 2018, since the very beginning of American Partisan. Venezuela is the beachhead for both Russian and Chinese influence in not just South America, not just Central America, but the Caribbean. And the other key player there that you got to pay attention to is Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua, because Nicaragua is going to be the home of the new Panama Canal. Of course, the Chinese own the Panama Canal. You can thank Bill Clinton for that. Uh, He was the one that formerly signed all of those rights away. And of course, Kissinger and Brzezinski and the usual suspects had their fingers in all of that. And now we have given all of that. We've ceded all of that economic influence over to the communist Chinese. And of course, Daniel Ortega, anybody that's familiar with Central American politics knows Daniel Ortega the longtime leader of the Sandinista movement in Nicaragua and a symbol of communist hegemony in Central America has been the president there in Nicaragua for a long period of time. And now he's got basically the, the whole Western Hemisphere and the shipping capability of the Western Hemisphere in his hands. And, and so this is a huge thing. What's even more troubling about South and Central America is people say, well, they're so resource rich. How come the people are so poor? Because Central and South American dictators take every dime they pull out of that ground and invest it in their militaries to control what they have and have the ability to fight wars and and repress their people. Um, That can all be turned northward. And and another place to look at in South America, and we actually did a whole show on on, uh, Mexico and Central America on Saturday, but um, Brazil. Now, Bolsonaro is a friend of America, but the rest of the Brazilian government is not. And in fact, the Brazilian Supreme Court has pretty much stripped him of his power. uh, And and there's a big power struggle there. Let's remember that Brazil is part of BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China. Right. So um, there's a lot of Chinese influence there. and, and, And where Brazil goes is where the rest of South America goes. So it's it's a pretty uh Pretty interesting southern front that we're going to have to contend with at some point, uh, and uh, just not enough people are talking about it. It's not just that they're not talking about it. They're not doing anything about it. But, you know, look at our southern border. Look at, oh. you know, reported on last year, I, I put up overlays of the Morningstar Ranch. Uh, of course, we had the Kinder Morgan incident where uh, a drone that was foreign-made it absolutely was foreign made. I've got sources in the, we'll just say, uh, government agency sources who I am friends with and trust who said, yep, that's exactly what it was. 
and you know they, they're surveilling Kinder Morgan. Well, where did they return to? If you go back uh, last year and look at the Del Rio region, the Morning Star Ranch, and who that is owned by, it's a Chinese People's Liberation Army logistics general that owns that ranch, and they have not one but two reinforced runways to land heavy cargo aircraft. They, of course, designed it. They designed it. They bought this place under the auspices of a green energy initiative, which was obviously began by the Obama administration. Uh, And Texas did what they could to put the brakes on it. Um, But they paused the the quote-unquote solar farm initiative and the wind farm initiative, which was what originally uh, that was the auspices of what it was supposed to be. And now they have these huge um, runways where you can land heavy cargo aircraft on. Well, I mean, that's a logistics base. That's an LSA for the guys that have been deployed. Those of us that spent time in Afghanistan and Iraq know that you can't outrun the LSAs, the logistics supply areas. And they always have giant runways that you can land heavy aircraft on to supply your people. Well, we've got this huge open border. We've got people that are coming across every single day. We've got all these military age males that are coming in. Oh, and now guess what? We've got up to a hundred, quote unquote, up to a hundred thousand Ukrainian refugees. Except that when we look at Europe, where all these refugees are coming in, these countries, France just pointed it out the other day. I put up a link to it on American Partisan. It's wait a minute. These, These people are not Ukrainian. Is they're Ukraine Middle Eastern, African. We, we don't know where they're coming from. Yeah, I posted a, a link on Twitter to a to a Ukrainian refugee from Africa, who who they showed off his scars and he goes, oh, he he, he got these from a Russian bayonet while he was escaping. Well, the scars were all gray and white. He didn't get them anywhere in Ukraine. He got them in Africa. And um, yeah, all these Ukrainian refugees aren't looking very Ukrainian. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it. This is just a giant human trafficking operation. I mean, it is. That's exactly what it is. But they're bringing in military age males. They're bringing in military age males, and I don't uh, care. For those who haven't haven't read it yet, um, Mongol Moon by Mark Sibley. He's a friend of mine. Oh yeah. He, it's um, uh, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Chinese um, coalition that invades the U.S. after setting off some EMP devices. And his point is the entire premise of the book is that the Chinese army is already here. They've got these logistics spaces, like you pointed out, and they just go out and they rent storage units and fill them with arms, ammo and food bought by legal residents. Right. And and they're bringing in these people every day. And there is already an army here if they wanted to invade. Right. And the thing is, is that they don't have to do a conventional combined arms maneuver invasion. Nope. All they have to do is destabilize an area. That's all you got to do. You don't have to physically occupy a place to wield control or influence over it. All you have to do is destabilize it and offer the solution. Yeah, the big point I make on that is the best way to destabilize it. What what does China need the most from us? And that's farmland, right? Um, One, they already own most of it. But the other point is to destabilize us to the point where they could take it easily and and we might even actually help them is to flip off the light switch here and we know that china has that capability we know that north korea has that capability and we're pretty sure russia has that capability what would it take to 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 
override our electrical grid and cause enough damage that we have mass deaths and starvation. And then a couple months later, the saviors from the east show up with boats. We'd practically be begging them to come in, even though we know they're the ones who did it to us, to save lives. And they could take over this place with no fighting whatsoever. That's right. You know, you, you create a problem. You offer a solution. Right. You know, problem reaction solution right there. And, and that's something I've long contended as well. The invasion is not going to happen when they know that, that people are going to fight the hardest. They're going to wait till you're starving. You know, they're going to wait till the dead of winter when you don't have any energy. And look at Europe's situation right now. They, that's yeah. why we, I thought it was a, a, this huge joke when, you know, you've got Brandon out there saying, you know, hey, NATO's never been stronger. This is great. Our alliance is so strong. And now, now, just this morning, they're saying, uh, you know what? We're not going to get any fuel and you're not going to supply it to us because you guys shut down Keystone XL. You don't have any new refineries. You just had a refinery go up in Montana. So, you know, basically we, we can't rely on you and, and the energy that you would be able to export that we could export just two years ago, by the way. But the, the energy that you could export, now we're not going to be able to, to, to even afford that because fuel is very expensive already in Europe. Um, it, that's why mass transit is such a big thing in Europe because fuel for individual vehicles is very expensive. Um, but it's now going to be that much more expensive if they can even get it, if they can even get it. And that's why they're kind of backing away. I expect the dissolution of NATO or at least a a replacement organization or a parallel organization to emerge in it and to emerge within the next 12 months. It's just yeah, a prediction. I, I, yeah, I could be wrong. Yeah, I think you're right there. And and the other piece to that is, is as we keep talking about how, well, we'll just send LNG over there on ships. First of all, that's the least efficient method of moving LNG. Right. And two, do you really think Russia is going to let those cross the North Atlantic unmolested? Right. Um, yeah. Russia's in this for the long haul. They know that their back is against a wall. It's not above them to torpedo a couple of those ships and put an end to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, when we boil all this down, does anyone really believe that this administration is capable of standing up to anything or exhibiting competent leadership? And and no, no sane person out there can say that this administration is capable of leading from the front or any sort of sanity whatsoever. Yeah, they're not capable of leading from the front, the middle or anywhere. Right They're um, What's happening, what we're going to see happen is all these petty dictators are going to feel unconstrained and they're going to start coming out and we're going to see regional conflicts everywhere. And it's just, you know, everyone wants to talk about the Russo-Ukrainian Russo war as if it's going to be a self-contained event. That is going to spread. And uh, I'm, I'm just telling you, you're seeing the opening stages of a much larger conflict. Well, I think it already has. Uh Looking again to South America, we mentioned Venezuela. Venezuela is already rattling sabers against Colombia. 
And they've been doing this for a while now. This this has been going on for a couple of years at least. Uh, Nikki Haley under the Trump administration was uh, making some moves while in Colombia, while she was the secretary to the UN. Um, and, you know, and, and of course, we tried a color revolution there, which failed. And we also tried one in Cuba, which failed as well. But what we're seeing absolutely is the opening stages of this. And it's going to manifest further. But I think it's it, it is if we turn our attention to South America, that's where the real action is, is getting ready to start. And the fallout is going to be on our southern border. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be opening up a second front for us. And we're not going to be able to handle it. We already have proven that we can't juggle two balls at the same time. Uh, and it's just uh, it's going to be a mess. <laughs> juggle two balls. We can't even juggle one ball. I mean, we're not. Brandon is not even playing catch at this point. He's just um, can't stay on script, can't stay on message, whatever message is there. I mean, it, the thing is, the whole world sees it. The whole world sees it. And the dollar, uh, the buying power of the dollar is already greatly diminished. Uh, the Fed's painted itself into a corner. And now you have India. It was reported today India is dumping the U.S. dollar and getting out of SWIFT. Uh, so they're leaving the banking system, the, the SWIFT banking system, so that they can more closely formalize relations with Russia. And they have invited the Chinese in. And, and this, is, this is extremely significant. Um, it because- is. It is. Pushing India to China and Russia. Uh, well, first of all, it, it ends our Quad Security Alliance in the Pacific. Uh, we're, in, we're in pretty bad shape. You know, our, our ability to, to exert power, exert economic power, because, you know, economy and warfare are hand in hand. We're really in a bad position. Uh, and it's, this all happened very quickly. It all happened very, very quickly. Um, you know, Trump put us on at least a better path, uh, was, was making moves to putting us on a better path. And here we are, you know, so it, it is what it is. Um, but anyhow, switching gears just a little bit, kind of revisiting the whole Ukraine deal. There's a lot of very disturbing footage that is coming out of Ukraine regarding the, uh, the treatment of prisoners over there at the hands of the Azov Battalion. You know, last time that I had you on, we talked a little bit about Azov. I've talked about Azov quite a bit. Uh, I consider them a terrorist organization. I mean, they, these guys are literal Nazis. Make no bones about it. I find it very ironic that, you know, all, all these lefties, these liberals here from the United States, Antifa types, are, you know, all too willing to embrace the Azov uh, way of life over there but there's some important lessons that i think a lot of people of the uh patriot and partisan mindset need to take from this and one of them chief among them is the treatment of prisoners and captives when you have them and so there's been a lot of disturbing footage that's come out from over there the the improper treatment of russian prisoners that they've taken in um Comment, if you will, what you've seen from your end. I know you, you've posted a lot about this. You've talked about this. What exactly is going on? And, you know, what are what are some of your answers for all this? 
Man, I, I man, I have taken so much heat over this, and I, and I've got some serious uh, serious thoughts on it. Is that first of all, all you're doing with this is prolonging the fighting, right? And and the the more atrocities get revealed on both sides, we're we're not saying it's all Ukraine, but man, there's an awful lot of it. Um, but contrast the two videos that came out on that same day was was or there there were three videos. Two of them were Ukrainian, one was Russian, and one was the Ukrainians with the the Russians over the freshly dug ditch that they were going to shoot them and put them in. Now we don't know that they shot them. That's true. Um, and then there's the video of them literally shooting people in the femoral artery so that they die uh, and bleed out in a very painful and and and, and horrible way. Uh, and then there's the photo the Russians put out, the video the Russians put out of them processing, escorting, and safeguarding prisoners. Granted, pure pure propaganda. We don't know that they didn't just kill all those Ukrainians the minute the cameras were off. Um, right. But um, but but the overall day was a propaganda win for the Russians. And the amount of cope I'm seeing from the American left is ridiculous. And even the American center is they're saying, well, those were all Russians in that video. I'm like, so in order for me to believe that, I have to believe that the Russians went to some other Russian soldiers and said, listen, we need to make this fake video. Now, I'm going to shoot you in the leg and you're going to bleed and it's going to hurt, but it's all for the greater good. So first of all, when you think about it, that's just ridiculous. That's that's not even possible. And no. uh, we see that video. It is clearly real blood and real gunshot wounds. Right. Um, so so there's that. Um, and then the other one is w- the one with the ditch. Everyone's like, yeah, but you don't know they shot him in it. And that could have been the ditch they captured them in. It could have been their trench. And I'm like, seriously, uh, first of all, it's a war crime to even make them think they're about to get executed. OK, that's bad enough. Um, but right. the problem that I'm seeing is, is that so many on the left in America are willing to justify literally anything the Azov Battalion or the rest of the Ukrainian military does because Russia's just a little bit worse. Engaging in a race to the bottom and saying, I like this guy because he's the least bad of the bad, that's not how we do business as a country. That's not the United States way. It never has been before and it shouldn't be now. No, exactly. You know, moral high ground, moral supremacy is a, a absolute important thing. You know, and, and early on in this, I saw a lot of people, of course, you know, you've had your critics. I've had mine for a lot of the same reasons. The, the, the same thing, you know, this uh, point of this isn't our fight. This isn't our war. We need to stay the heck out of this. Um, but the elites are, are obviously pushing us in that direction. Now, you know, that being said, the Russians have a, a very violent history of the mistreatment of prisoners going back to, to World War II. And of course, there was a lot of people, there were a lot of conservatives that were saying, you know, oh, but we, you know, we remember Holomador and all that stuff. Like, yeah, okay, that, that happened. We're not whitewashing over that, but that is not 2022. And here we, we go. We have an example of a side that America is supporting. Okay, we provided material support to these people, to Azov Battalion. We've brought in international fighters. We're cheerleading that on, turning a blind eye to that, right? We've got a lot of these guys that are going over there, and there's a bunch of stuff that's coming out now. It ain't all a bed of roses in that department, neither. Um, you know, and, and right. we've got, there, there is footage of Azov liquidating their own people, liquidating civilians that were trying to escape, saying, you know, hey, where are you going, cowards? You're, you're going to stand here and fight. You're going to fight to the very last man. Well, man, I took a lot of heat for that, too, because I called that out when it was happening. And everyone said, no, 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 no. 
it's the Russians. I'm like, well, the Russians set up the the humanitarian corridors. Like, yeah, so they could kill the the Ukrainians. Well, they didn't need to set up a humanitarian corridor to kill Ukrainians. They could have just flattened the town. So when right. everyone's saying, no, 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 it's the Russians, it's the Russians, then all these people eventually made it out and got interviewed on TV, and they were like, no, it was totally Azov. They told us if we left our basement, they would kill us, and they shot a whole bunch of people, and we had to run. I mean, seriously, these are not people we want to support. And you can't justify it, as everyone keeps doing to me, by saying, yeah, but Russia invaded. But that doesn't matter to me. There, there's, there, You can't point to the part in international law that says war crimes are okay uh, against the aggressor. It, it doesn't work that well, way. Ru- okay, Russia invaded Ukraine. America invaded Afghanistan. America invaded Iraq. Exactly. America invaded Libya. America invaded Syria. America invaded Vietnam. We we don't. And in each of these places, we wouldn't think that it would be acceptable if the tables were turned. Why is this accept? More morality is not relative. And of course, but th- this is a perfect example of liberals not really caring about whatever the script is. They're they're just going to follow whatever it is they think the current thing. Right. The current thing, which is, a, I think, a really brilliant meme, whatever the current thing is, that's just what they're going to go for. You know, but the more important point, though, for, for us, for uh, patriots, for guys who are out there who are committed to the Constitution, who are uh, fighting the good fight, and who are the, the freedom fighters on tomorrow's battlefield, should that come to the United States? I think a very important lesson to take away is the is regarding the treatment of prisoners you know you and i came up knowing the the law of land or law of land warfare rather that really ensures the the safeguard of prisoners you know you search them you secure them you safeguard them to the rear in an expedited fashion and that is your duty to do that and that's a really important thing because I know uh, like in, in Robin Sage, for example, Special Forces uh, qualification course, the, the final exercise, there's a, a moral conundrum that the candidates get put into where they have a, a guerrilla chief who wants to execute some prisoners. And you can't allow that to happen. You have to say, no, nah, nah, you, you know, you, you can't do this. You can't mistreat these guys. And it's kind of a it's a moral question and a moral test that's given to make sure or at least it used to be to make sure that, you know, these guys understand and recognize that, you know, America is a force for good or at least is supposed to be. And so when we're turning a blind eye to stuff like this that's going on in Ukraine and we have people who who are like, yeah, this is fine. And well, yeah, that's the problem. We don't see a, a statement from our government saying. Listen, we're with you, but you have to stop this. We're not seeing that. Right. Right. We're, and, we're absolutely and, and, and we're not going to. Right. We, we never will because it's the Russians. And uh, this is all just an extension of Russia collusion. But um, but I digress. Um, and, and the point that, that you were starting to make about about freedom fighters here, uh, you said, should, uh, should it ever come here? Let's just say when. Uh, but. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree. I, uh, I am a- optimistic, but yeah, you know, right on. There's a lot of people who say to me, "Yeah, but if if they ever made it invaded America or bad things came to my town or bad things came to your house, wouldn't you?" Well, here's the thing: I can fight and be be a dang hellish warrior 
and not lose my morality. So I, I like to right. the whole basis of tactical wisdom is taking the lessons of war from the Bible and applying them to our life in preparedness. I mean, God told Joshua to cut the heads off of people who resisted him and put them on spikes, but only the people who resisted him. And and there's a certain amount of freedom in what's called the just war doctrine for you to do whatever is necessary as long as the cause is just and as long as you're not crossing that line. I can be a pretty brutal warrior and still follow the law of land warfare, right? But the minute I accept the surrender of someone and then kill them, I murdered them, and murder's not okay. Right. That's exactly right. Yep. And if you don't want to take prisoners, don't take prisoners. But don't take them and then kill them. Or mistreat them. Or Or starve them. Or torture. You know, it's... Again, you know, we return to this thing, the the duplicity of the left. They were all, you know, I I remember the uproar over Abu Ghraib and the uproar over waterboarding and enhanced interrogation and all this stuff. Where are all those leftists now? Where are they? I mean, even over black hoods. hoods. Right. Yeah, man. Or, or, or the use of, of canine units. Oh, my God, you have dogs there. They don't like dogs. And now, nah, <laughs> meh, I'm okay with this. I remember that. I remember that. You know, and, 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 you know, and we, we fall into this, this black or white kind of deal that, you know, it's, it's either one or the other. No, it's, it's recognition of a moral standard. Okay, you either have a moral standard or you don't. You either have a moral underpinning or you don't. If you don't, and you're going to be a, a society absent morality, then look back at the German experience post-World War II. The Germans knew that they, they didn't just want to walk. They wanted to run to the Americans because they knew that, that with the American army, at least they were going to have a chance. At least they, you know, there was, there was a chance that, that they might not make it, but they at least had a chance. On the Eastern Front against the Russians, they knew that there was no such thing. And that was a product of a society, two societies, that had lost their morality. It had completely lost their morality. The Eastern Front was absolutely savage. It was the highest casualty uh, count of, of, of World War II by a very wide margin. Both sides had their heaviest losses on the Eastern Front between uh, Germany and the Soviet Union, you know, and, and we're finding ourselves in, in a scenario very much like that again. Uh, so, you know, that, of course, also begs the, the next point in that the, this whole Ukrainian conflict is not exactly what it's been made out to be. It's not exactly, uh, of course, you, you know, we're, we're told the, the propaganda stuff, the, oh, Ukraine's a great victory, and we, you know, the, the uh, javelins are just destroying all the armor, and they, you know, the Russians are completely incompetent, paper tigers, all this stuff, and we're kind of getting some mixed messages. Anybody that's actually been a ground pounder, been a fighter, been in the fight on the ground from the Western side of things, particularly uh, remembering the lessons of, of Afghanistan in particular, you know, warfare is really not that easy. And when you're talking about warfare in heavily built up areas, it's definitely not that easy. Well, I'm going to tell you, everyone keeps talking about how they got bogged down in Kiev. 
I don't think Russia ever intended to enter Kiev. I think they intended to threaten Kiev because that tied down about 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers defending a city they weren't going to attack in the first place. Uh, I, I think Russia has a That's goal, a and I think they're on track to meet it. That's a really good point. That's one I haven't heard anybody make yet, uh, that they they simply just want to wait it out. Um, that, that – that that's actually in, incredibly salient. Uh, you know, that 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 is a really good one. That is. A well, really and also good look one. at the the entire Marine Regiment they have floating off of Odessa. They can't pull their troops out of Odessa because if they do, those Russian Marines will land and take Odessa. But Russia also right. is in no hurry to land them. So. Right. Right. You know, it, it's. It almost seems like to me that Ukraine was a test bed of, um, you know, not not to quote a, a kind of off the wall movie, but the the end of JFK. For anybody that's seen Oliver Stone's JFK, don't really agree with the movie and, you know, uh, whatever, but it is worth watching. But the very end where Donald Sutherland's character is sitting there with Kevin Costner, who's playing Jim Garrison. Uh, the the prosecutor that that was deep diving uh, based on uh, some of the stuff from the Warren Commission, um, saying that, that basically that that Vietnam was a test bed uh, and a training ground, a proving ground for new warfare concepts and to create a hardened cadre of professional soldiers and professional fighters for the larger coming war between us and the communists. And what if that is the case here? And it, it certainly, I, I think that there could be an argument that is made along those lines that Russia is the, the reason that they sent in a lot of the forces that they sent in, but they, they're holding their best equipment and their professional soldiers in reserve is so that they have a hardened cadre. They have a better fighting force, a more effective fighting force for a larger tactical goal. What do you well, think it, about that? It, no, I think that's 100 percent true, because we're seeing in the videos out of Mariupol where the where the bloodiest and, 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 and most severe fighting is it's Chechens and separatist forces that you're seeing in the fight, not actual frontline Russian units. And today we're seeing out of all places, this one totally got me, um, South Ossetian forces arriving in Crimea to cross and push towards uh, Mikolev. So where did the Ossetians come from? Well, Russia is holding back her best strategic reserves for whatever comes next. Uh, I've been saying from day one that this is the opening round, right? This is uh, this is by no means the end. Ukraine is not the end state. 100%, man. 100%. And and where do where do you think that they're going to go next? So let's say, you know, we always look for a negotiated settlement, you know, the, the conclusion, the cessation of hostilities, uh, you know, and that's kind of sidestepping the whole question of whether Zelensky is even in Kiev or not. It's pretty questionable to me. Nobody has seen this guy outside of, you know, canned Zoom calls, and he's always wearing his green T-shirt. So who knows? Uh, who knows where, where the, the piano player is? But um where when when this thing 
begins to collapse when the government, the puppet government of the United States that's there that we set up in Ukraine, when this thing begins to collapse, because it will, uh, yeah. it can't be sustained forever. And Russia, it, it's looking like, unfortunately, has nothing but time on their hands. Where do you think that this is going to go from here? Oh, I'm going to tell you 100 percent. Moldova. When you look at the uh, the 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 fact pattern, um, Georgia had separatist elements and Russian peacekeepers already in it before they invaded in Georgia. Uh, Ukraine had a separatist movement, Russian peacekeepers, they invaded. Well, Moldova has a separatist movement, Russian peacekeepers, and it's right next to it. All three of these countries uh, are in a line, Georgia, Ukraine, Moldova. Uh, I would say Moldova is next. Um, Part of their negotiated settlement obviously would be for the Donbass, but they also want that strip that has Odessa that butts right up against Moldova. So that would probably be the next bet. And I would guarantee you that at the end of this war, regardless of the outcome, Zelensky is no longer in office and he lives in Jerusalem. That's my estimation. Uh, you know, Moldova, that that is, that's a critical point. And um, it's not one that I thought of. I was figuring Latvia. Uh, would be next going for the Baltic states. Yeah, uh, see, that crosses that NATO line. Moldova does not. True. That's true. But if they're no longer part of NATO, that might be a different well, story. Well, that's it. If NATO falls apart, then yeah, the Baltic states would be next. Somebody over the weekend, I guess, threatened Kaliningrad, which is the worst possible thing you could say. Yeah. I don't know if it was bad. Poland, but. Uh, uh, we could hit Kaliningrad and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's dumb because that's essentially one giant military base and it's yep. not a good idea. No. And, and it has a huge amount of, uh, Russian, basically it's, it, it's a national symbol of, of Russian military power, uh, there. And, and, you know, it, it's one giant military base as well. The, the, the history of that city, it would essentially, well, uh, in years past, I would say that would be like like attacking a place like Fort Bragg for us. Right, and right. of course, now, uh, now, who, who knows what it's going to be called uh, since Fort Bragg has to be renamed. And, you know, it, it's uh, so stupid. Ar- as a- the army's in bad shape. The army yeah. is in bad shape. You know, man, this is. You know, and again, I want to reiterate to all the listeners, this is absolutely not uh, because I know I'm going to get a dozen hate mail emails from this. This is not in praise of the Russians. Okay, we spent the first half of the show breaking down how the Russians and the Chinese tied together as part of Belt and Road are a major problem for the United States and are going to be a major problem for the United States. But this is not the effective way to contain that. And this is certainly not the effective way. Warfare that we we really are not good at fighting and them being able to fight on their terms while we've left our back door wide open is this is not the effective way to approach this, folks. It's just not. Uh but that being said, the reality is what it is. We've got Biden out there. We've got Brandon that's been out there saying, you know, go ahead and expect uh, food shortages. Go ahead and expect 
that there are going to be more severe shortages of things because instead of actually being a leader and being a, a demented person that he is, he's just telling us to our face rather than doing anything about it, rather than trying to reassure the American people who are increasingly wary of the lack of leadership there and the tone deafness there uh, on part of these administration officials. Rather than do all of that, he's just telling us bluntly. So I guess there is a, a silver lining in having a demented, uh, dementia patient as your president. But with that said, you know, food preps, there's going to be a food shortage. You know, we've got a fertilizer shortage already. A lot of the countries of the world are walling up their supplies. You've got Hungary that's no longer exporting its goods. You've got Ukraine, which was very much the breadbasket of Europe, now embroiled in war. So the planting season, this season's kind of shot. Here domestically, fertilizer is um, going to get a lot harder to get. And our big ag production centers are all signaling that there's going to be mass shortages of a lot of things. And, of course, the elite's answer, oh, well, you'll, you'll learn to eat bugs. You'll uh, can't get fuel. Just go buy an electric car that is, you know, gargantuanly overpriced and, you know, not affordable by any of us. We, you know, agriculture in the ag sector we, we can't live like that. We, that. That's literally not feasible. So food preps, food preps is going to be a huge thing. What say you, Joe Dolio? I say that if you're not planting your own food this spring, you're going to have a very rough fall. Uh, just yesterday, the USDA upped their and uh, practically doubled their prediction of food price increases for the fall. So they're saying another 7.5% increase. And, you know, when dealing with government numbers, you always at least double the number they give you. So we're looking at 14, 15 percent food price increases again between now and the fall. Um, seriously, what, what farms are going to be producing this year have switched to soybeans because it requires a lot less fertilizer. But we don't eat soybeans. Uh, other places do and we sell them. So um, you're going to need some kind of food. So um my son and I are, are going to do a little partnership and plant a few rows at a at our little uh, our, our bug out location up north. We're going to plant a few extra rows. Um, you know, I might, I might have to press the, uh, the the old folks, you know, my mom and dad who live up there into doing some of the work for us. But but if you don't if you don't get out there and plant some food, you're going to experience real pain in the fall. Sure, there'll be food available, but the price is going to be so ridiculous that you're not going to be able to buy as much as you used to because you're not going to get a 7% raise. Um, there's going to be some serious, serious food shortages, um, and you're going to need to have uh, a source of food. You're going to need it. Uh, I just mentioned this on another uh, on another podcast a couple hours ago that most of our problems with food storage are because of the way we live, right? Uh, it used to be that... Um, you could take potatoes, throw them in your root cellar and keep them for a year. Um, the way that our houses are now, we keep them at 67, 70 degrees all year long and the food just goes bad. You have to right, figure right. out ways to store food on your property or store food in your house that enables it to last. That's why in, in the northern European countries, potatoes and cabbage were such a staple of their diet. Because if you can throw them somewhere where they're going to stay 50 degrees, you can keep them for a year. 
you you got to come up with that plan right now. And, and, and I mean, get serious about it. And I know there's a lot of people who are worried about their ability to grow food. Look, AOC did it. If AOC can do it, you can do it. Yeah, I think that's a funny point uh, that, that, you know, even AOC is doing that. And uh, it, it's just ironic. But then again, you know, the community that AOC comes from in New York, uh, community gardens are a thing. They've been a regular thing, you know, kind of coming up in, in libertarian circles and, and whatnot. Uh, Carl Hess is a pretty in, uh, influential figure and a guy that, you know, I have all of his work uh, here, his books and everything. And he had a, a book that he released many, many years ago called The Community Garden, where that was literally a project that he put together. They, they were going to inner city areas. They did this in New York. It was very interesting. There was an initiative to do that up up in uh, your neck of the woods in Detroit. Yep. Yep. And highly successful, you know, and, and at the same time, teaching people self-sufficiency. So that they don't even in urban areas, you can do this. You know, a lot of people, though, thankfully, thankfully, a lot of people are really getting into this. You know, uh, here locally, Tractor Supply Company is a a huge chain, Uh, you know, and and of course, we've got a few others, Southern States here and and, uh, Rural King, a couple others that that are around here. But uh, chickens the the raising of chickens the raising of goats a lot of people are reverting back to figuring that out it have been now for about a year and it's almost as if to me that a lot of people you know because humans are animals too we just kind of function on a uh different level we like to think that we're not animals but we really are people are trying to prepare for that storm they don't necessarily want to call it what it is but that's what they're doing, and they're getting ready for that. I'll tell you, um, and I make this point in my books, and, and I make it every chance I get, that as recently as the 1950s, every man in America knew how to grow food. He knew how to hunt. He knew how to fish. He knew how to camp. He knew how to make a fire. He knew how to fix his own car. We're at a point now in America where the millennials and younger literally know none of these things, and um, we have to get back to that. Um, that's how your country dies is by not knowing how to produce your own food. Going to the grocery store is not how you produce food. And um, even even just from a from the academic standpoint, teach your children where food comes from. It doesn't come from the grocery store. And uh, I, I think it's going to become more and more crucial that everyone have that ability. Uh, and it's like I say in my books, don't uh, don't get yourself 10 years worth of food. Get yourself maybe six or eight months worth of food. And beyond that, learn how to develop your own food. Because once you do that, you never, ever have to rely on anybody else. And the minute you say, I have to rely on somebody else for my food, is the minute they can force you to do things you don't want to do. That's right. That's right. Because starving people are easily controlled. And and that's something that here in the United States, we've lived without that hunger, literally, quite literally, not, not a pun, but we've lived without that hunger now for so long. Of course, you know, we, we came up during the years and heard, you know, the, the left talking about these things like food deserts and all this stuff, which is a load of crap. They, they were literally talking about the fact that you don't have decent food. You don't have any alternative to uh, fast food, junk food, 
in an area, but you do have food. I mean, look at our obesity rate. America is not a starving country by any stretch of the imagination, because if we were, we would have had a revolution already uh, with the government corruption and the things that we have to put up with, that, that we have put up with in this country that I think our founding fathers would have already put their foot down. It's not, you know, we're not going to suffer these fools any longer. But th- those people are easily controlled. The, the people who are hungry are easily controlled because at a minimum, we supply the food. Look at uh, Mohammed Farah Adid in Somalia. Why is it that when the humanitarian aid was being given out in Somalia, why was it that he was uh, – taking the food he was intercepting the airdrops before um and and the supply drops before he got to the people why was he doing that because that's what kept him in power as a warlord yep it kept people from resisting him because they needed to to eat and um that's what we're going to see ourselves and and that's my entire point on self-sufficiency is if i can raise my own food i can provide for my own security from other people uh, then I don't ever have to bend the knee. And, and, and the biggest problem right now in America is they're trying to find every possible way to force you to bend the knee. Uh, and that's just not the way we're supposed to be built. Right. That's exactly right. Now, switching gears a little bit because, man, I get fired up when we're talking about that. I get real, real fired up because freedom – Freedom is food. Freedom is 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 that it's not just being armed. It's being well supplied and the ability to maintain that as well. Uh, you know, Joe, any any final thoughts, you know, diving into training? I'm going to be up your way. We're going to have the RTO course, advanced RTO course, signals intelligence in May. I am dying to get up there, man. I know uh, getting you into class is is, is going to be an awesome experience. I'm chomping at the bit uh, to have that and, and uh, going to be up there. Talk me through real quick what your pointers are between now and then, what people need to be focused on, what they need to be training up on. Uh, I know you had a post here recently, uh, you know, realities of, of world without rule of law comms. What do you think people need to be doing? Well, I, I think that that the more we poke the bear, the more like the bear and the dragon – the more likely we are to have a major cyber attack. So you need to get serious about some sort of communications plan. I'm not at your level on comms, but I know six or seven guys and we're all able to reach each other. And we've got a guy who can reach others for us. So you need some sort of communications plan because the first cyber attack is going to hit our communications infrastructure. So something comms wise, you also need to work on, um, and, and, and you know what? Fitness isn't always my strongest point. Um, but you have to work on your ability. Uh, you know this, uh, ground pounders. You got to work on your ability to cover long distances on foot carrying a load. There's just no way around it. Get yep. out, walk, and, and walk some more, and then walk some more. Don't worry so much about running, but worry about walking. Because uh, if things go the way they want, you're not going to have gasoline, and you're not going to have communications, and you're going to be walking everywhere. Um, yep. You know, you brought up the electric cars earlier. Electric cars aren't about the environment. They're about limiting your freedom of movement because there's not a single electric car that has more than a 400 mile range right now. 
which actually means your range is 200 miles because I have to be able to go somewhere and get back home. Yep. And and so you want to retain as much of your 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 freedom of movement as you can. And if you're not if you haven't gotten out and walked, you don't have any freedom of movement. You need to be able to walk a good distance on foot carrying a load so that you're able to if push comes to shove, you're able to get out and at least walk out of the area uh, even if you can't drive. Um, and, and, and then the, the biggest and most important two pieces are one food security, get yourself some heirloom seeds and learn how to grow. And I would do it now because when you absolutely have to survive on the food is not the time to be learning. Right. Right. Learn now. And then the other one is community, 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 uh, find like-minded folks, get together, start working together, start training together. And by training, I don't mean the skills of putting holes in paper. Anyone can do that. Learn scouting, learn patrolling, learn communicating, learn the actual skills that that mean something. The shooting is the end result of doing everything else right, if that makes sense. Or or the failure of doing a number of things wrong, in which case you're probably getting shot. In which case you're probably getting shot. Yeah. It's reality. It's reality from from a real world couple of trigger pullers telling you, you know, I always tell people in class shooting is the culmination of one of two things, either really, really good tactics or real, real bad ones. Well, you see, this is is how I make that distinction. If I'm really good at the scouting and patrolling skills, which, by the way, everyone is book four. That's what I'm working on. Yep. I get to choose the time and place of contact. Bingo. Right? Bingo. I get to decide if I'm going to ambush you and not get ambushed myself. If I neglect those skills and instead I spend all my time at the range, I'm going to spend all my time fending off ambushes by other people. Yep. And you're Work on the skills, man. So. Yep. Man. Brother, it has been a ridiculously fast hour. Holy yeah. crap. As it always is, man. As it always is. Joe Dolio, author of Tactical Wisdom, tacticalwisdom.com, a blog that you need to be reading daily. If it's not in your daily queue, go there. All right. Pick up that three volume set. It is money incredibly well spent. Joe Dolio, brother, you got any last things? Just prepare and, and have your eyes open. Stop stop believing the normalcy bias. That's it. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, folks, for me and all of us here at Radio Contra and AmericanPartisan.org, all of the editors, contributors, and, of course, my awesome guest, Joe Dolio, TacticalWisdom.com, I thank you for being here. And I will be talking to you again very, very soon. God bless. Stay safe. Sensi Scout, out.